Customer experience. It's what sets some of the best companies apart from the rest, yet can often be hard to achieve. Tune in monthly as we uncover the secrets behind great customer experience. This is Experience Better, the CX Podcast. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Experience Better, the CX Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Thompson, Senior Partner Relationship Manager at Kubra. In our final episode of Experience Better, the CX Podcast of 2021, we take a look back at some of your favorite episodes over the past year. When you hear the topics, you may think that they have nothing in common, but they do. They all focus on delivering the best possible experience and service to customers. That may be through a solution like MasterCard BPX or learning more about each generation so you can attain an in-depth understanding of all your customers' wants and needs. We've taken snippets from our top four episodes that contain the key takeaways from each. That may be enough for you, or you may want to circle back and listen or re-listen to the whole episode. The first episode in review is Improving CX for Seniors with Concierge Services. Marcy Lobel-Ezrick, founder, CEO, and general counsel at Silverbills, saw the challenges that the elderly and their caretakers face keeping track of bills and navigating new payment technologies and developed a service to help. She explains what concierge services are and the benefits businesses and individuals are seeing from using them. For those who don't know about Silver Bills, what services do you provide? And, and essentially, I mean, we know what your customer demographic is, but let's dig into that a little bit deeper. Sure. So what we're doing on behalf of customers are we're receiving, scrutinizing, storing, and making sure their household bills are paid correctly and on time. And we have a very robust back-end proprietary software solution. However, clients have the option to use it or not. They are paired with a U.S.-based account manager who's using that software, but it's a person on the other end of the phone who actually knows them, knows their history, knows the details of their obligations, their payment obligations, and they can reach that person on the phone. So we are not forcing anyone to go online, um, particularly because this demographic, about 17 million of them don't use computers at all. Millions more don't use them for financial tasks. But increasingly, we have inbound queries from younger people who just are tired of all the apps on their phone, and they want a person. Like, in many cases, they have accountants who handle their tax preparation or lawyers who handle their you know, various legal documents. We are that person on the other end of the phone, the professional who can help with the bill management. Yeah, so and that's what we're doing. And, you know, I, I can appreciate that. I mean, you know, my mother's getting older and, and it's not just the concept of computers, but how they work and Wi-Fi versus, you know, mobile technology versus cable and having them things plugged in and the blinky blinky lights going just sort of getting that and pulling it all together. So uh, the fact that, you know, not only the elderly seniors have ability to call somebody and speak in their language and they can translate and do uh, what they need, you know, from a technical standpoint, on the other end is is wonderful. So, Obviously, the service is provided primarily for seniors. How did you design the program to make it easier for this demographic to work with you? Because clearly, that's got to be a bit of a challenge, the whole technological challenge with respect to seniors. So, as I said, computer use is completely optional. So, what do we do? We meet our clients where they are from a technology perspective. If they are comfortable using technology, they can, you know, engage with us purely online. But for the large majority, we provide them with old school business reply envelopes, a supply of those. 
they put whatever they want us to manage in there, let's say their cell phone bill, we get a sample of it. We onboard that in our software. Their, their Silver Bills account manager will do that. Mm-hmm. And going forward, we get that paper directly. We did a lot of research into stressors in bill management in this population. And we heard repeatedly that all of the paper causes a lot of stress, not only for the seniors, but for their families. And so once we get that piece of paper, we get it directly. And again, instead of emailing or texting or anything else, they have the option of calling their dedicated account manager on the phone and speaking with him or her whenever they want. So that's how we accommodate the needs of of this population. We're not forcing them to go online. And I can tell you that it's very disenfranchising for a lot of older adults who are not online, particularly Mm -hmm. the older demographic. You know, you talk about older adults and you kind of have to, um, you know, segment that population. The the, The skewing older of that demographic they're tired of hearing about all of these cultural references to online, yep. Facebook, et cetera. And we don't do that with them. We are very sensitive to their particular needs and requirements. And the second episode we're going to review is Gen Z to Baby Boomers, What the Generations Expect from You. In this episode, Sean Jackson, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Cooper, breaks down the preferences of each generation, including their communication preferences, billing and payment needs, personalization expectations, and willingness to adopt new trends. I would imagine it's never been more fun yet more challenging to market products and services to today's diverse customer segments. And I know enough to know that the customer segments today are incredibly diverse. So Sean, why don't you kick us off uh, and maybe give us an overview of each of these generations we're discussing today. Yeah, sure. Of course, Scott, we definitely need to sort of review that, right? Because uh, we talk about these generations sort of very easily and quickly, but we don't necessarily know exactly where those lines, how those lines are sort of delineated. So we, I could jump into the youngest generation, which is actually Generation Alpha. So that would actually apply to my son. It's people uh, who are under 10 years old, but you know they're not really in the, in, in the mode of buying just yet or paying bills. So we're going to start with uh, Gen Z or Gen Z, depending on whether you are Canadian or American. Um, so Gen Z, the current age is 6 to 24 years old. And of course, defining moments for this generation would be smartphones and of course, uh, social media everywhere, all the time, uh, and also seeing their, their parents struggle financially, um, which would be the Gen Xers. Next in line, we have our millennials who are currently uh, aged 25 to 40. Defining moments for this generation would be, of course, the explosion of tech and the introduction of social media. Uh, and finally, and, and very sadly, uh, of course, 9-11 was uh, a pivotal moment uh, for this generation, which, of course, won't be forgotten by anyone, and especially just this generation. Yep. Next, we have our Gen Xers. Now, of course, Scott and I are Gen Xers, so we guilty. hold yes. guilty as charged. Uh, so we hold these uh, this generation close to the heart. Uh, the current age, and we won't specify our ages, uh, but they are the current age is 41 to 56. And the defining moments, of course, would be the end of the Cold War, the introduction of personal computers, uh, which, of course, I can still remember uh, the first computer I had when I was younger. It was my dad's Commodore 64. And I can just I'm not even sure I could even lift it at this point. It was just so bulky and heavy. Um, 
And another defining moment for this generation uh, is that we we often feel lost, uh, as Scott would say, we are the middle children between yes. two major generations, right, Scott? Uh, yes. oh, I, millennials and baby boomers. Absolutely. And I can completely relate to that. I just know going back to my high school days, when I started high school, we used typewriters. And at the end of my, you know, when I was graduating, we had computers, uh, you know, talk about being lost between, you know, paper and, and you know, technology. And also, I remember, you know, in elementary school, we had the imperial measurement system and then converted over to metric. And, I, you know, it just made, I can't, I know neither of them really well because I started with one and went to another one and feel sort of lost in the chasm in between. So, yeah, I can, I can totally identify with that. Yeah, I, to make you feel better, I still haven't mastered either imperial or metric. And I vacillate between one and the other and trying to sort of teach it to my son is even more challenging. So we all seem to speak different languages as it relates to to, to those conversions. But uh, the next and final generation we'll talk about today is of course our baby boomers. So for me and probably for Scott, that would that would be our parents, right? So the current age of baby boomers are 57 to 75. And the most defining moments really are of course that post-World War II optimism, uh, the Cold War, and of course, everyone can remember the hippie movement, right? Make love, not war, peace out. Uh, that was really, these were defining moments uh, and feelings of uh, that baby boomer generation. Next, we take a look back at how business intelligence improves customer experience. Anthony Mancini, manager customer success at Kuber, explains how analyzing current and historical data about customers can help businesses make smart, data-driven decisions that optimize performance, predict success, and identify market trends, and ultimately improve customer experience. There are you know, various definitions uh, out there on what business intelligence uh, is, and the one I like the best that I think articulates it uh, properly is that business intelligence turns raw data into actionable insights that drive customer interactions and business de uh, decisions. So let's take a step back there, right? There's three primary components of business intelligence based on you know, what I just said. The first is the data. The second is reporting and anal uh, analytics on that data, which then lead to visualizations, which are, is very important. And then finally, gathering valuable insights to drive particular action. So let's look at data. In today's world, you know, large companies are gathering and receiving mass volumes of data unlike ever before, right? It's an incredible amount of data that's flowing through through systems today based on customer interactions with you know, your platform or your services that you provide. Specific to Kubra, you know, we work in uh, home services industries, we work with utilities, with government entities, uh, with financial institutions, and uh, we see all these different interactions and how the, these interactions are just generating and driving this incredible volume of, of data and information. Now let's look at a, a utility, for example, right? A utility has multiple back-end systems that they're using. Uh, for example, we have customer information systems, we have outage management systems, work order management systems, uh, asset data management systems. All of these systems have a, a, an incredible function, but produce an enormous amount of data. Now, the challenge from a business intelligence perspective is that 
a lot of these systems, Scott, work in individual silos, okay? They may or may not be uh, communicating back and forth. And what happens here is the data that's being gathered, again, exists within these individual uh, silos and these individual components. So one of the challenges that business intelligence solves is around the data being captured in these individual silos, right? So we're looking at what's called data warehousing, where you're able to pool and consolidate the data into you know, a singular or consolidated uh, stream so that it's easier to run analytics and reporting uh, on. The second component, like I said, is reporting and analysis on this information. So through machine learning, through uh, artificial intelligence, through complex algorithms, we're able to take raw data, whether it's organized or unorganized, and format, format it in a way that allows us to perform this proper analysis. Um, and then from there, once we have the reporting captured, once we have the analysis, we're able to build you know, vis visualization against those reports, which again makes it much easier to digest and understand all this, you know, raw data, we now have visualization to it. Our final episode in review is MasterCard's way to improve the bill pay experience. Manal Tukan, Senior Vice President, Bill Pay at MasterCard, tells us about the MasterCard Bill Pay Exchange solution and the innovation and transformation it brings to the bank bill payment channel, as well as the benefits this solution delivers to billers and customers alike. So uh, as I mentioned at the start of our discussion, uh, we see great opportunity to drive innovation in the bill pay space, especially in home banking as we know it. Um, and also, you know, in situations where there are new emerging aggregator models um, where consumers are trying to pay all of their bills in one, one place. Um, we definitely see the opportunity uh, to add value. And what we've done is we've married the legacy bill pay solution that I mentioned earlier um, is our uh, solute bill pay solution and biller directory known as RPPS. We're marrying RPPS with real-time messaging capabilities that we acquired through Vocalink to create the bill pay exchange network or BPX as, as we know it. And bill pay exchange is a real-time messaging network and I'll uh, kind of underscore messaging here as it enables enhanced and immediate communication between consumers and billers during the bill pay process. Uh, if I can uh, create a, a bit of a mental picture of the ecosystem, uh, MasterCard sits at the center of the bill pay exchange network. Uh, we're the hub, if you will, connecting participants um, on, on two sides of the ecosystem here. Uh, we're using APIs to connect to partners, um, and these APIs are leveraging ISO 20022 standards. And on one side of the network, uh, where the consumers are interacting um, in, for their bill pay needs, uh, we're connecting banks, processors who power uh, bill pay on behalf of banks, um, or other fintechs that have um, bill pay solutions, and we're connecting them to our bill pay exchange. And on the other side of the network, uh, we have billers who want to get paid by these consumers. And in order to connect to the billers, we're leveraging uh, billing service providers like Cooper, 
who hosts Bill Pay Solutions on behalf of, of merchants. We're also um, partnering with content providers who may have access to, um, to bill details, um, and also partnering with treasury banks who often support um, accounts receivable or collection solutions um, on behalf of merchants. And, you know, with this construct, right, we've built an ecosystem um, and we're leveraging our brand and, and legacy as a network operator, as MasterCard. That's all for Experience Better, the CX podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please send us your questions and continue the conversation with us on Twitter or Facebook at Kubra Way. That's K-U-B-R-A-W-A-Y or on LinkedIn at Kubra. Thank you, everyone.